Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week we are going to be taking a look at Arcana Rising and The Hunger, the new one by Richard Garfield. Mm -hmm. And then apparently Natasha has played an interesting (laughs) game that she wants to talk about. And then in our discussion topic, we are actually going to be answering a question that I saw on the Board Game Revolution Community Facebook page, which is one thing you wish you knew before getting into the hobby. So that's what we're going to talk about in our discussion topic. But before we talk about any games or anything like that, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. First being, we're from Michigan. So our podcast is primarily based in like the Michigan area. From what I can see as far as like downloads and everything like that, Michigan has always been number one. Because our friends listen to us. <laughs> I don't know. The, that's, uh, do they though? Duh. Do they? <laughs> we know a couple, but Michigan tends to be the, like the highest state that has downloads. That said, not anymore. Maryland this <laughs> month has been taking over Michigan. So whoever's listening, yeah. So whoever's listening out in Maryland, shout out to you guys for giving Michigan a run for their money. So whoever's out in Maryland listening, shout out to you guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Also, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, and it's a mistake I made like two episodes ago. We were doing the recommend segment, and I recommended the book, The Psalm of the Wild Built. And in that book, there's two main characters. There's two characters. There's Dex, and then there's Mosscap the robot. And in the book. Dex's pronouns are they them and I I'm like 99% sure the entire time I was referring to Dex I was referring to Dex as like he or him so I definitely screwed up those pronouns and that is my bad I should have not done that (laughs) I should I should have been better at it and unfortunately yeah I messed up my bad so pronouns are they them Dex is they them not he him you want to hear about Bean Boozled the board game I kind of do now. <laughs> um, have you have you heard of um, Bean Boozled, like the uh, candy? No. You haven't. Your kids don't eat the. They're like um, little jelly bellies, but they're like gross flavor. Like so, there's like grass and like toothpaste, booger. Um, no, this is this reminds me of Harry vomit. Potter. They are. There's some Harry Potter ones too. There's the Harry Potter ones, and then there's the Jelly Belly ones. Yeah. No. Um, I think the Bean Boozled is Jelly Belly brand. So the so they'll have they'll be the same color as the regular Jelly Bellies, so you eat one and you don't know if it's green apple or booger. And that's the that's the they're fun. Like kids like them. Well, there's a board game based on these. Why? That, yeah. Why is there know. a board game? It's 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 hardly a board game. It comes in a board game like box. That's why I know it's a board game. Other than that, you would have no idea. And it comes with a spinner. Well, you know it's good then. And right? it comes with these little packages of the um, jelly bellies, which there's like like twenty little packages of like individual serving size. Of each package has just like you know five or ten be- uh, jelly beans in it. So my son picked it up this summer at a garage sale. He's like, I got it for only four dollars. I looked it up online. It was like you can buy it at five below for five dollars he's like wasn't that a good deal mom <laughs> yeah always passing on the thriftiness to the children <laughs> so so he uh you you spin the spinner this is the whole game you spin the spinner and it tells you what color to eat and you have to eat that color and you might get you know a good jelly belly and you might get the nasty one and that is the entire one. Oh, spoiled milk's another one you get coconut or spoiled milk 
And that's the whole game is you just take turns spinning the spinner and picking one. And my son's been begging me to play it with him. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I don't refuse to play games very often, but that game I refuse to play. Did, so you legit, you actually haven't played it? No. I Well, I no, no. You just spin the spinner and then you eat the jelly bean. <laughs> what is the name of the jelly beans? Bean Boozled. Bean Boozled. As the, I know Jelly Bellies, but not the... You know, being boozled. They're disgusting. They're fun to have your kids eat because kids don't mind that. And then they make funny faces when they get the nasty one. Because you have to like bite into it. And like it takes a minute for like your taste buds to kick in. And then you're like, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. Like there's a vomit one. They're bad. Spoiled uh, milk for really bad. The only thing I keep thinking about when you bring that up is that scene in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when Ron's like, yeah, my older brother got a bogey-flavored one. Just... <laughs> so did he play it? Oh, yeah. They played it, and they had fun. And then they just have fun eating the beans. How do you win? There's no winning. You you don't get a bad jelly. There, you don't eat a gross are, one. There are no winners in this you game. You don't vomit. <laughs> you win. <laughs> nice. Do not buy this game. Just buy a package, because yeah. you can buy a little package of those bean boozled. I always get them for my kids for Christmas because they always have fun eating them, you know? Why don't you get them for, for like, I don't know, Halloween? They have enough, I don't know. Put them in their stockings. I don't buy candy for my kids. They will get their own candy Halloween. All right, fair enough. How about we talk about some good games, okay? Okay, fine. All right, so this week I wanted to talk about Arcana Rising. This is a uh, car drafting engine building game designed by Tim Armstrong, art by Yaroslav Radetsky published by Gray Fox Games. In this game, players are aspiring mages, acquiring and casting spells at the best time to gain resources and earn points. They will do this by drafting cards and running their engine during the three rounds of the game. At the start of each round, players will be dealt six cards, which correspond to the six turns in each round. On a player's turn, they can do one of two actions. They can either prepare a spell or they can cast a spell. To prepare a spell, a player will select one of the cards in their hand and place it under one of the spell disciplines that they have in front of them. So there are six different disciplines. There's charms, potions, herbology, blood arts, and alchemy. There are also two other card types that you can prepare. One is artifacts, which are played next to your player board, and they provide endgame scoring. And then there's events, which are activated and then discarded. The other option a player has is to cast a spell. Players will still have to select a card, and instead of placing it under one of the disciplines, they're actually going to discard it, then activate some of their disciplines. In order to know which ones you can activate, there's a central board that holds 10 chips corresponding to the five different disciplines. So for example, in turn two of round one, if you cast a spell, you'll look at the two chips that are on that space and determine which two disciplines you can activate. Then you resolve all the cards in that column. The last round has no chips, but it lets you activate the last card in each column. Players will play three rounds of this and then score final points. Each discipline has a resource associated with it, which converts into points. Then you calculate any artifact cards and whoever has the most points wins. What makes this game interesting is that central board in which disciplines you can activate. So it gives you this interesting look into the future of, all right, these are going to be the ones that I can activate so you're, in some ways, you can prepare for what is going to be available for you later on in the round. Yeah, I like how you can either play the card or you can choose to activate, like, two of the disciplines. 
you know, knowing when to do that is critical because you need to activate them in order to gain the resources to be able to buy the cards, you know, but you don't want to just activate every turn because you only get to get one. So you got to build up your little engine there first and then start activating them. But you kind of want to focus on like one or two engines so you can spend the other turns collecting cards and then activating just your good ones. So it's really it's really kind of interesting the way that the cards play out and, and you know, choosing choosing which ones to activate. And that's random. Like they draw out this bag of chips and that's randomly out. So each time you might activate two different areas. So that's that's pretty interesting. Well, and there's an opportunity where two of the same chip are drawn. So you would activate that particular discipline twice. Yeah, that can be really good if you are set up where that discipline is really good for you. Yeah, exactly. So if you you can have, you know, these big turns when you're activating a bunch of stuff, especially like later on. And in some ways it has like, I want to say a similar kind of feel somewhat to Seven Wonders where you're drafting a card and you're passing it and you're making sure that you're, you know, not giving somebody next to you, you know, these specific cards, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can use the cards for something other than just placing them in your tableau. You can discard them and then be able to activate spells, you know, with the events, you can do different things. One of the things the event cards do that I think are interesting is they allow you in some cases to gain a card from a discard pile, whether it be the person to your left, the person to your right, or your discard pile. Mm -hmm. So just because a card gets discarded doesn't mean it's not going to get necessarily get played. So if you hate draft, I might yeah. still be able to get that card you hate drafted. And I could get it for free. Where if, if I hand you this really good card that would benefit you, but I know you can't afford it at this time, might as well hand it to you because you're not going to be able to afford to buy it. Where if I discard it, then maybe you're putting it out for free. Yeah, and then maybe I discard it so then I can try to get it back later with an event card. The thing is, this game plays up to six, and there's nothing in the game that I could see that indicated that you remove cards based on player count. The cards do have, in in the corner, they'll have two plus, but that's it. Mm. It doesn't necessarily... So if you play a three-player game, you're not going to see nearly the same amount of cards as if you played you know, a six-player game. In a six-player game, all the cards are used. Okay. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. I would think it played just as good at six, but that really does kind of change it if you're using all the cards. The only big difference I could see is you can't guarantee all the cards are going to be present. So if, let's say, you start the game with an strategy where you're building up the herbo herbology, maybe in later rounds there are no herbology cards. Mm -hmm. You know, Same thing with potions or charms. Maybe they're just not present because you're not using all the cards. Sure. Which... Brings me to a point with this game. The rule book is not great in this game. It just isn't, which is a little unfortunate considering how simplistic the game really is. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing, too, is before we get into like before we get into any sort of ratings, what I want to I want to talk about specifically the experience with this game, because I kickstarted this game. I kickstarted this game like two years ago. Wow. And they had. A ton of issues. Technically, on Board Game Geek, it's listed as a 2021 release. I just got it like three weeks ago. Wow. They had a ton of problems with shipping. They, at the time, granted, I mean, it was, I think I did it pre COVID. So obviously, shipping has completely changed and did different things. So they were trying, like, they were trying their best to try to, to get money to, in order to ship it. They offered people purchasing like a set of dice, different things like that. It was just kind of 
it wasn't a very positive experience with this game. Mm -hmm. And I think the company knew that, but even getting it, that was still in the back of my mind that it was this negative experience I had on Kickstarter. And then the Kickstarter exclusives, which are basically these little small abacuses that can like count your abacus eye, would it be abacus eyes? Mm, Abacuses? Anyway, which count your points, which are kind of cool, I guess. And then you get some like wooden chunky bits to keep track of your resources, that kind of thing. It just wasn't enough extra stuff. And those those abacuses didn't really, they weren't great. Yeah, they're not easy. You kind of use your fingernail because they're kind of tiny. Yeah, and they're, they just didn't feel very, they felt kind of just like cheap and chintzy. The card quality in the game wasn't that great. It's bad, yeah. Card quality is bad. So I have a hard time distinguishing in this review from that experience and those feelings that I have. So mm-hmm. keep that as a caveat when we talk about like our ratings and stuff like that. Because overall, the game seems pretty good. For the most part, it's pretty simple. It's solid. Like it, you know, you're drafting cards, which I love. You're building up, you know, your engine. You can do really well, you know, activating specific disciplines and stuff like that. And I think, you know, the that main board is cool where mm-hmm. you can have this, you know what you're able to activate later on, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is cool. I like that planning ahead. Because there was a couple times in the last game we played where I got a set of cards and I really like I was all in on the herb strategy. Right. And I got a set of cards. and I was like, oh, man, I got a really good card here, but I need to activate it or I need to cast that spell or I won't be able to. So I really had a tough decision. Which one? What do I do? Do mm-hmm. I take this card that I think I can do really well in or do I just, you know, cast my spell, which I, I like that type of decisions. But, man, I just can't disassociate the two the you know it's just well i'll tell you my opinion because because i don't have any of the hang-ups with the kickstarter sure i thought the game was fine i thought it had some interesting decisions um i didn't mind playing it it was quick it, it was pretty light you know but i also didn't feel like it was that interesting i don't think there was anything special about it um it doesn't make me want to come back and play it again i wouldn't mind playing it again but there was just nothing really no hook to it the best way I can describe it is it's a solid game mechanically, but extremely forgettable. Yeah. That's the best way I can describe it is it's it's forgettable. Mm-hmm. You know, you play it a couple times, you're like, all right, cool. And you don't play it ever again. Yeah. And that'd be fine. What would you rate it? I think I'm going to rate it a six. I'm right there with you. 100% is a six. And, and maybe I was hoping for more based on the Kickstarter experience. But yeah, like I said, it just mechanically everything flows well. The mm-hmm. rule book is not great. So there's going to be a lot of times where you're going to be like, "Does is this how this works? And you just simply don't know. You have to make an educated guess based on your experience as a gamer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. It, I think there's going to be people who really like this game. If you like specifically drafting cards and if you like card drafting, if you like engine building, this game does that very well. I think mechanically the game's good and solid. It just, I don't know, it's just forgettable, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. So, yeah, that's Arcana Rising. All right, next up we want to talk about The Hunger Game. The Hunger Games or no, The Hunger? The Hunger Game. Pause. Game. <laughs> it's called The Hunger. I will refer to it as The Hunger Game. It's designed by Richard Garfield. Um, there's quite a few um, artists in there. Uh, it's published by Aura Games. 
and Renegade Game Studios. So this is a deck building race game with some push your luck. In this game, players are trying to earn the most points by hunting humans and getting back to the castle before sunrise. So we're vampires. Can't tell. Um, each player starts the game with six vampire cards with different movement values. You can spend your movement by moving out into the plains and forest where you can stop and you can spend the rest of your movement hunting or rest your movement value hunting either a human for victory points, collecting a familiar for their special ability, gaining a special power card, or if you make it all the way to the labyrinth, you can collect a rose, which is which gives you additional extra powers. So there are various stops along the way that let you collect missions that give you end game victory points, often for the types of humans you collect. You can collect special tokens that give you various one-time abilities, or you can stop and digest a human which lets you remove it from your deck, which is great because humans um, really slow you down. They don't they don't really give you any special abilities except for victory points. What makes this game a lot of fun is the push your luck. So you have 15 rounds in the game and you have to make it back uh, to at least the graveyard in front of the castle or you're not going to get any points at all. Which is what happened in the first game we played of this. <laughs> <laughs> for all of you guys except for me, I was the only one with points and I was like, we still have to come up points because I like I had this great like point strategy. Like even if I got back, I was like, I'm going to do good cuz all my missions are really good. Like I just have a lot of end game points. So I was the furthest back, but I what you can collect tokens in this game and one of the tokens you can collect is a parasol, which gives you an additional round to get back. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And let me tell you that the so there's the three areas, right? There's the where the castle area is, there's the plains. Plains, and then there's the Forest by the labyrinth. Right. The end. So you have to you go ha- all the way out and come all the way back. You don't have to go all the way out. You can go out as far as you want and come back. Yeah, but if you go all the way out, you can collect a rose card, which is, you know, pretty good. It can give you a decent amount of points once you're making your way back. Mm-hmm. But it's deceptively long in that castle area. There's a lot of spots there that you don't think are there. In your head, you only have to make it back to the castle area. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have to make it to the graveyard. But there's a couple turns. You need at least a couple good mo- turns to get through the castle area. It's legit. At one point, I had three turns left, including the parasol, and I had to move 17 spaces. And I was like, there's no way. There's literally no way I can possibly do this. Well, maybe there is. And somehow it was. <laughs> Somehow the game ended with Natasha in the castle mm-hmm. and then Jeremy, Chris, and I were one, two, and three away from like the graveyard, the graveyard. basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then so Natasha wins and we all get zero points. <laughs> so a little bit of a letdown. There's a feel bad when you play an hour long game and you end up scoring zero points, but that's that's the breaks, you know, them's the breaks that happen when a push your luck game is as like this, you know? Yeah, and you, you don't know the timing of it. So then we we immediately played it again right away. And then we added a fifth player. So that did definitely change it up. And um everybody kinda had a little bit different strategy going in. I think we all made it back. I was actually the last one and I didn't make it to the castle, but I made it to the graveyard. So I didn't get the bonus castle points, but I, and I lost five points because I had to hide in the co- in the cough in the graveyard. But I at least get a score. But um, I don't know how I ended up so slow because I did the same thing. I went all the way out and came all the way back. I thought I was faster, but it was a totally different game that time. I think a game like this shines when after you're done, you talk about how the game went and you're like immediately thinking of a different way to play it next time. Mm-hmm. And... Very rarely do we go to a game night where we say, all right, let's play again. And we got done 
we started wrapping up. And I was like, I want to play it again. Do you guys want to play again? And then you were like, yeah, let's do it again. And everyone's like, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, let's do it again. So then we set it up and we added that fifth player. But even teaching, so second go around, having a fifth player, teaching that player how to play still took us like an hour to get through mm-hmm. the game. It was pretty quick. Yeah, and that's five players. Well, this is a deck builder too. So everyone's taking their individual turns. Exactly. And it like it cruised along pretty well and everyone did stuff completely different. Mm-hmm. Like my strategy was I don't care about going all the way forward. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do is I wanted to do a loop in the grasslands, the plains. I wanted to do a loop, come back and pick up a bunch of tokens and come back. And Zoe Zoe went out just just into the plains, stayed there, hunted, 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 victory points, victory points, victory points, and then shot back to the castle right away. Which totally if I re- different strategy than everybody else. And that's the thing. Zoe did not move. She sat at that spot, like the very first plane spot, and just dump would dump her cards and just I'm gonna start scooping up all these all these humans. Mm-hmm. And if my deck gets clogged, oh well, it doesn't matter because I'm so close. Mm-hmm. I think she struggled to get back. I think at one point she needed a specific draw in order to make sure she got back and she ended up getting it, but she was really close not to because she hung out. I think she might have hung out a little too long. Well, she decided she's like, I could stay out here and continue hunting or I could go back now to make sure because she had a token that gave her extra points or being first one back. Right. Yep. And then the ne- so she decided to go back. And then she was like, oh, phew, good thing I did because then she drew like three human cards, which had zero movement so that she would have been stuck there. Yeah, it it was interesting to see how everyone approached it differently that second game. Because one of the things after we got done playing, you even said, I think the strategy is to shoot out as far as you can and then come back. Yep. And then come back and pick up and start feeding on the way back, collecting Mm -hmm. those cards. Which I did that and I got I got way less points that time. So it didn't work. But the problem was because Zoe was doing what she was doing, because she had she got a bunch of cards that let her hunt multiple times. Because normally you can just acquire one one card, mm-hmm. and she had a, like she had a few cards that allowed her to feed multiple times or hunt multiple times. And because mm-hmm. she was able to do that, she was scooping up all the cards. So it got to the point where like, if you wanted cards, you better get them because there wasn't going to be that many left. Yeah, she was scooping them up. Yeah, it played very different with five. That's for sure. Or maybe it was just the players we had too, the different strategies. It was interesting. I liked um, the artwork a lot. I, I I don't typically like vampire dark themes, but it was really car- cartoony and light and fun. And I liked that a lot. I thought the theme really shined through here because they had like um, the different types of humans. Now you could eat a, a spicy human, um, but then you'd get thirsty and have to go to the well, the nearest well, so that could me bring it back or forward depending on how when it came up and then it had a few other little funny things like if it was a slow human then it cost less movement to get to it or you could go to the tavern and scoop up a whole bunch of humans but you don't know who's in there you know so you don't know what you're gonna get it really the theme really um shines in this game quite a bit i agree it, the theme of the game and the way everything is put together i think does a really good job just immersing you in that and it's very tongue-in-cheek Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's taking something like vampires, which you can make extremely dark. And it's almost like you said, cartoony. You know, yeah. it's extremely cartoony. It doesn't take itself super serious. It's like the artwork's fun. Like you can get a spicy human. I mean, that's hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. So the and you can digest them at the different locations and stuff like that. I think it, the theme overall is 
is pretty solid. The deck of cards is huge. And I know we hadn't gone through them all and hadn't utilized all the cards, but I think there's a lot of strategy in those cards and the combo you can put together. And I'd be interested in playing it a little bit more just to, to fully understand um, and kind of build off different strategies. Yeah, they're mm, that deck of cards. There's one thing. Um, there were a couple cards that I ended up getting that were like, score these bonus points if you have Roxanne. So then Roxanne never came up. I don't remember if it was actually Roxanne, but that's what I was going to say. All right. Roxanne never came up. And then we're like, all right. So I grabbed the deck after the first game and I'm like going through it. And I find, I was like, oh, there's Roxanne. Bottom 10th of the deck, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way we're getting to Roxanne. So then you were like, well, maybe there's multiple Roxannes in there. I'm like, oh, sure. So I look, no, there was literally one and it was at the very bottom of the deck. So <laughs> that like is a thing. five cards that wanted Roxanne. <laughs> so it, that um. that's something that can happen. The other thing that I don't like, uh, a choice that they made with this is the main board is glossy. Oh, like, yeah. Glossy. Think dry erase glossy, mm-hmm. which doesn't add anything to the game. So I really don't know why they did it. Yeah, it was it was just made it shiny. Not in a good way. Well, and if you're sitting at the edge of the table, because it can take up a decent amount of space because you have the area where you're getting cards is this long board where they're shifting. So you can, you know, they shift down into different values, but Mm -hmm. it's probably four or five cards long. So it can take up a decent amount of space. So if you're sitting at the end, it can be difficult to look and see what's going on just because of glare on that board, which doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, that, that was a weird design choice. Um, one thing I did really like, though, is the the turn order structure. So as you go out, turn order changes each round based on where you're at. So whoever is the furthest out from the castle is going to go first. So as you're taking off, re- leaving the castle, you want to kind of go out fast, you know, so you can go first because the first player each uh, round, new humans come out or new familiars and new special abilities. So if you're first, you can grab those first ones. You can hit these first spots first. But then on the way back, it's also the last, it's the first person goes who's away from the castle. So if you're last, then you're going to go first. So I like the, I like that choice too, in setting yourself up to be able to go first or, or whatnot, especially if you're trying to get the rose, you know, you want to be first there. So I I liked that, those decisions as well. You ain't first, you're last. It's interesting because it's almost the exact opposite of what you normally see in a game like this, where the person furthest behind goes first Mm -hmm. it's the person closest to that rose spot but the other thing too is there's those three there's three different routes one's a road one's a like train and the other one's a uh a boat or ship right there's a hierarchy so the road players get first priority then the train then the boat so you could be further ahead on the boat track but still go last if people are on the road Mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting and then because you can if you land on the space with another vampire, you bump them. So maybe you want to bump them first. So they they have to make a decision first or maybe you bump them behind you. Mm-hmm. So you're going ahead of them. So th- even doing something like that, I think, is interesting. Yeah, it had some interesting choices for sure. And the deck building was, felt very different. It didn't feel like a deck builder because typically in a deck builder, as you gain cards, you gain like better cards. And in this game, like some of the cards are better, but a lot of them are like less movement. So you don't really want those cards. But then all the human cards are all bad, except for they're all worth victory points, but they're going to slow you down. So it didn't it definitely didn't 
feel like a deck builder. If you like deck builders, you, you may or may not like this. I can't really say because it didn't feel like a deck builder to me, at least. I don't know. I thought it felt pretty similar to a deck builder. I see what you're saying. Most of the most of the humans are negative in some way. They mm-hmm. impact you negatively or they offer you no movement. But there are humans that give you additional movement. There are humans that allow you to, to you know, draw an extra card. Because the other thing is you don't have a hand of five. You have a hand of three. Yeah. And some of those vampire cards, which allow give you the movement, activate higher if you have a human played. So if you play a human, it might say, all right, your move speed's one. Unless you have a human in your display, then your move is three. Or if you have a human in your display, draw an additional card. So they, they'll like activate off of each other. Mm-hmm. But inherently... They're not better than what you start with. I think that's the big difference is you're not you're you're digesting the cards that you're acquiring, which in a normal deck builder, typically I'm getting rid of my starting cards for the better cards that I've drafted or I've acquired, not Mm -hmm. drafted, acquired. Right. So in this, you're getting rid of the cards you acquire just so they don't slow you down. Yeah, get them out of your deck and you get to keep them. You still get the points and stuff, but now they're out of your deck. Yeah, yep. it's, it's, it, it felt really different. It felt fresh and modern and, and unique, and I liked that. I think I'm going to rate it a seven. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought the theme made it a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of options in there that I, I kind of makes me want to play it again. Um, so overall, I really enjoyed it. Not my favorite, you know, but I definitely would be willing to play it again and, um, get to know it a little bit better, I suppose. And I had a lot of fun playing with it. All right. So what, what, um, how would you rate it? I think I'm going to give it a seven as well. It's one of those games that might go higher the more I play and the more options you get through expansions, but I enjoyed it. It it does feel bad when you don't make it back to the castle, but that's, it's a push your luck game and Mm -hmm. I'm going to push my luck to the very end. I mean, I had a parasol. I thought I was good. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, like I should just be able to have that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it, I think overall it's it's interesting. The artwork's cool. So, yeah. So I recommend The Hunger if you like vampire themes, if you like deck builders, if you like a, like a kind of a bigger meteor push your luck, if you like, um, you know, cards that combo well together, th- games like that. Um, if you like thematic games, I think you'd like this game. It's definitely worth checking out. That's The Hunger. All right, next up, I want to give you a recommendation of a book I read. This one, I've been trying to get Bob to read for a while. It's called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. It's a Bobiverse book. Um, there's, it's a series. It's by, um, let's see, Dennis Taylor. So in this book, Bob um, just sells his uh, software company, makes a bunch of money, and uh, signs up to, like, when he dies, they're going to take his body and freeze it for the future or whatever and and then right away of course he dies so then um fast forward way into the future bob wakes up and he they can't reanimate his body but they figured out how to put him into a computer so his brain is he's a computer now and is he's so he still feels like the same person but he uh takes up space in a computer and it's way in the future and the world is like there people are all trying to kill themselves and the earth is dying so they've got they're going to send bob out into the universe to try to find other planets to explore and find places that humans can go and live since they've destroyed earth so um bob goes out and he they give him a ship with 3d printer and he collects materials and um 
like builds additional ships and then duplicates himself and sends out. So then he kind of like duplicates himself again and again. And all of his like duplicates keep duplicating themselves. And they all rename, they all come up with new names and, and they all can, you know, stay connected in this network of ships out into the space. And so the story kind of goes like of on each adventure of, of like, you know, one of the you know, Bobs go to this one planet and discover life there. And the, the other Bobs go off in this other direction and do other things. And some of the Bobs stay on earth and help the humans. And, and, and it's really, uh, really a fun book. Like it, it sounds a little bit dark there at the beginning, but, um, there's a little darkness to it, but overall it's really a, a light, fun read. And this is, it's a nice little arc of the series and you get to meet, um, some new species, which I really enjoy. How many books is it? Uh, four, I think. Yeah, there's four books. And then there's an overall bad guy um, in the book series, too. That, so there's a few different you know problems that they have to solve. But it's really actually quite good. I recommend it. It's We Are Legion is the um, first book. It's part of the Bobiverse, which is why I think Bob should read it, right? I, yeah. I mean, clearly. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I read it? I said about a guy named Bob. <laughs> you have so much in common. Yeah. No, we have zero. The only thing we have in common is the name. <laughs> I don't rare. own a software. I don't own it. Yeah, yes, a hundred percent. I have one of the rarest names ever. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we're gonna come back, we're gonna discuss things we wish we knew before we got into the hobby. All right. All right, welcome back. We are now going to talk about things we wish we knew we got into the hobby, and. I saw this question posted on Facebook and it was on the board game revolutions or board game revolution community Facebook group. A woman by the name of Shannon posted, what is the one thing you wish you knew before getting into this amazing hobby? Maybe there's a few things you wish somebody told you or that there was wisdom that you could give a new gamer getting into this hobby. It it made me like wonder, Mm -hmm. like if we were to go back and give advice, like what kind of advice we would give give our like previous selves, right? Okay. And the first thing I thought of was there is no number of games owned that makes you a member of this hobby. Yes. That's a good one. And the biggest thing I reason why I say that is because when I was starting off in my head, I thought I am not a gamer unless I have a hundred for whatever reason in my head, a hundred was the number Mm -hmm. and having a hundred games doesn't make you any different in the hobby. There's people who owns, own thousands of games. There's people that own five. Yeah. And I think each one of them has a place in this hobby. And that's, mm-hmm. and I think people can oftentimes get caught up on their collection because the, one of the big things, especially on Facebook groups, is posting you know these shelfies of all the games that we have. Mm-hmm. And people oftentimes will post when they post one that doesn't have that many games. They're like, yeah, it's really small. But no, I mean, if that works for you, that works for you. You don't need to have X number of games to be a gamer. Yeah, I definitely felt that pressure, too. When I first started, like I was out like buying any game that I heard somebody say was good. I was like, I'm going to get it. And I was looking for good deals, trying to build up my collection and end up buying a lot of games I just never played because they were older games and people weren't playing them anymore. There's certain certainly a new hotness feature to this hobby where you go to a game night more often than not, people are going to want to play the newer, hotter releases. Which is what I thought about first when I, when you asked me this question. Um, one of the things that I think us new gamers w- want to do is go back and play a lot of those old games 
you know, that people love, like, you know, people love, we talk, often talk about these games that we love because we played them so much when we first got into the hobby, but really like they're kind of dated now. If people loved, you know, like look at Catan, like th- that was a great game that did a lot for the hobby, but people don't really want to play that anymore. And you don't need to, like you can enter the hobby now. You don't ever need to go back in time and play those old classics because to be honest, they're they're kind of dated and people have great memories of them because they were the best of their time, but that doesn't mean you need to go out and buy them. You know, if you can get a chance to play them, by all means, try to check them out, but you don't need to own them. Yeah, it's almost like a nerd street cred when you can say you've played some of these older titles. Like, yeah, I remember playing Catan or, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I played, you know, original Kalos when it first came out. It's mm-hmm. it's almost like a like a nerd flex in some ways. I don't know. Me personally, I don't, if you've played those games, cool. Like, just because you've played those games doesn't make you any more of a gamer than a person who hasn't yeah and you and you don't need to because because they're just not as good as new games now so don't worry about it well that i think that's one of the nice things about this hobby is it 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 feels like things keep getting pushed forward there hasn't been any sort of like new mechanic that is you know exploded onto the scene like a dominion with deck building Mm -hmm. that was a big deal right it introduced deck building and now there's Games that are introducing worker placement with deck building and like Lost Ruins and like doing they're integrating these different things and they're pushing these concepts and ideas forward, which I think is really awesome. But it does make when you go back, it doesn't necessarily that stuff doesn't necessarily feel as like clean and sharp as some of the games now. Yeah, it's easy to see why we're so called to the new because the reality is like the newer stuff is usually better. Usually when a new game comes out, a second edition is better than the first, you know, or they read it, implemented something that's better than the original, you know, so that's it's hard not to be called to the new when, when things are coming out and they're better. Exactly, 100%. And I think which leads me to another like overall idea that I had is research with an asterisk. Just because someone says a game is good for them doesn't mean it's good for you. Yes, 100%. For me, we're okay. We have a board game podcast. We review games. The way in which we review games, I think we t- try to talk about the overall feel of the game, and then we give our opinion and rating. And one of the things when we started this, I was like, I want to give a rating. And it, part of it is just my detail mind likes to put a concrete number on something so people can think about it. But just because I give a game a six doesn't mean it's not a game for you. Or just mm-hmm. because I give a game a 10, that's where I think like creating these top 100 lists and these these top 10 lists that we've done, if all of a sudden I give you my top five designers and you like all five of those designers, there's a good chance my tastes align with yours and I'd be, you know, we'd be better off getting which games we like off of each other as opposed to something else. Like you love rolling rights. I'm rolling rights for me are like, cool. All right, whatever. But you love them. And there's a lot of people who do. So your opinion will, your opinion on rolling rights should have more weight than mine does. See, and I find that I've, I find a lot of um, like YouTubers and reviewers, I find that I agree with a, a lot of them with a few, quite a few games, but there isn't one person that I completely agree with. Even if I like uh, a lot of the games that they like, there's, I still find 
totally difference of opinions. And I've learned that over time that um, I've, I've learned what I like and what I don't like. And that, that 100% is just going to take time and just figuring things games out. But there isn't one person that I completely align with. And I, that's why I like listening to so many people's different reviews, because just because somebody who I typically align with doesn't like a game doesn't mean I'm not going to either. You know, I could very well like that game. And, and um, so definitely, I think it's nice to listen to other people's reviews. And it's important because it gives you a feel for the game. Kind of, they kind of go over mechanics, you know, like, okay, I typically like that. I typically don't like this. But really, it's just, it's just a matter of, of picking out the traits that you like and finding um, you know, people that you trust and, and can give a, a thorough review or a, a critical review, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the Game Boy Geeks slogan is finding your next favorite game, I think is mm-hmm. what his, his is. And that's helping you find your next favorite game. I th- and I think, you know, as content creators, like w- what we're doing with this podcast, we're talking about these games and hopefully people are getting a sense or a feel of how the game plays. Ooh, I like that, you know, Arcana Rising, like you and I weren't that keen on it. That could be somebody's favorite game of all time. Mm-hmm. Just because of how smooth and like mechanically sound it is and maybe they like the theme, but that's the thing is I remember listening to the top 10 essential games from like the Dice Tower and thinking I needed all those. Yeah. And I bought probably a good chunk of them and I ended up getting rid of a lot of them because they just weren't what I wanted to keep in my collection long term. So how do you what do you recommend buying then if you if you don't if you can't trust anybody, <laughs> how do you try? That's why I say research with an asterisk, because that's the thing is at some point you gotta take a leap of faith. Right. But that brings me up to another point that I think you'll appreciate buy used. Mm-hmm. So there is a fantastic secondary market. There's Facebook groups dedicated to it. Granted, you're going to have to pay shipping and shipping sucks right now. So caveat shipping is. If you can find a local group, you know. And that's the thing. So we have in our area, in Grand Rapids area, we have at least two game stores that offer consignment mm-hmm. Two two different companies that offer consignment, right? Plus we have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook group. So there there's plenty of opportunities to swap fine games and like interchange them for less than you know list price mm-hmm. so you can and you can buy used games and they're still in great condition i don't know how many times people are like new and shrink half off mm-hmm. you know i see that all the time my favorite way to try out a game is is to go to game night and play somebody else's copy you know and and that's what i've been doing lately i try i really try not to buy a game unless I play it first because one if I played it that means I don't have to learn the rules because I already know how to play oh my god (laughs) and two I I know I like it you know that's how you you learn if you like a game you got to play it first you know that's the one thing is you need to play games in order to understand what you like and what you don't like yeah and be open-minded too like you know you're not gonna like everything that's totally fine but you might surprise yourself you know I thought that I didn't like any dudes on the map game and I was wrong. You know, I do like those types of games. Sometimes games deserve a second chance and sometimes they don't. It's, and you yeah, know. that's true yeah. too. It is hard too when you're, when you're beginning because you're going to typically play, especially if you're playing other people's games, they're going to be good at it. You're not going to be good at it. Um, I would say that'd be another advice. Like you're not going to be good at playing games when you first start probably. And that's fine. Do not 
do not be hard on yourself and feel like you need to, to be just as good as everybody else playing. Just try to, just try to have fun. It's, it can be a souring experience when you're consistently losing, but nobody cares. What do you mean? Nobody cares. Nobody cares if that you're always losing. That's okay. I mean, what if you care that you're always losing? (laughs) What if that's a thing? I'm not saying I do, but I'm just saying. I know it it can it can take your fun away. You know, find a game that I guess I say find a game you like and play that one a lot. Um, I know when I first started getting into the hobby, I was always wanting to play something new, something new, something new, because I just felt like there's thousands of games out there, and I had only touched a you know a fraction of them. I'm like, I have to play them all. You'll never play them all. Don't try. There's no way, you know, Mm -hmm. what is it like a few thousand games get released every single year? Yeah. There, I remember a time when you're like, I got to play everything. And now you're just. Even full-time board game reviewers who do that for a living can't play everything. No, there's no way. The team, a whole team of the Dice Tower, they don't, the whole team combined doesn't play everything. And the thing is, they pump out a lot of content, a ton. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have so many, they have their hands in so many like different streams, you know, Live events, they're doing those reviews. They're doing reviews, you know, together. They have, you know, the Dice Tower network of podcasts that people are doing it. And there's no way. There's You're never going to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, so don't try. Well, I mean, I guess you can try, but you're probably not <laughs> going to be very successful. It is, it is more fun to learn a game and start playing it a lot and getting good at it. Then you can start winning. And that'll be more fun than always playing new games and always sucking at them. You can always rent games too. I know like we have some local game stores that allow you to rent games. Granted, I mean, not every area is going to have that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're lucky, that's that's a great way to try a game. All right, I have I have one more and I think, I think this is going to be your favorite, Natasha. Okay. Kickstarter is not a good place to start. No, I completely agree with that. <laughs> so. It's not I, a good value. You're not getting a good deal. Stay out. If it's a good game, it'll come to retail. You can buy it then. As a person who has and probably will in the future back Kickstarters, I'm going to disagree with you slightly because I think that you can find Kickstarters that have decent deals. There are often times where you can get a Kickstarter for 20% off retail or what the... Yeah, and then you only pay like 20% shipping. I mean, shipping aside, yeah. That I mean, that shipping... All right, shipping now sucks, but mm-hmm. but there's also companies whose business model evolve specifically around kickstarter i think kickstarter is great when you know what you want you want this game you want to make sure that it's going to be published and you're willing to put the the money and energy into helping them get it published because you know that's what you want i agree and that's the thing is i think people can get caught up in the kickstarter hype because once you get into this hobby there's going to be plenty of people that are you know Oh, I got this Kickstarter. Oh, oh, I want to buy that game. Well, too bad. It's not, you know, it's an Awakened Realms game, so it's not available for retail unless a retailer has, you know, done a bundle with them or whatever. And there's a lot of potential for fear of missing out with some of that stuff. But as far as the deal, like, yes, typically you're paying for shipping. Sometimes maybe you get 20% off, you know, list price. Sometimes you get exclusives, like Blood Rage exclusives are ridiculous try to pick up on the secondary market right now you know just they're expensive because they're only available through like the kickstarter campaigns Mm -hmm. the thing is kickstarter man kickstarter we could do a whole topic just on kickstarter honestly you could i got really nothing to say about it 
You you know what? You stop that. You have way more to say about it than you might think. You are I have so negative about it. A hundred percent you have opinions about it. Kickstarter is one of those things that I think is such a valuable tool to small publishers. Like a publisher sure. who you know, t- you know, we had Mark on from Grand Gamers Guild. His business model revolves around Kickstarters. You know, he Not is exclusively, a, but yes, r- right, yeah. He does publish. He does self-publish some games and stuff like that. But some of his bigger titles he does through Kickstarter, and that that's his business model, and that's what works. And I think you know, for a smaller publisher like him, that's awesome that he's able to produce these games and he has a platform in which he can do it. That is fantastic. But then you get a company like Simon who uses it as almost like a pre-order like a pre yeah a pre-order system mm-hmm. you know and the with the FOMO on I feel like I'm jumping around a lot right now but the fear of missing out on some of the Kickstarter exclusives is the 19 expansions like how often are you are you really going to get into all 19 expansions do you need all 19 expansions no like are you a completionist that you need it probably but like are you ever going to play that much content you know, realistically, how how many times are you playing that game? Yeah, and I don't want to shame anybody who buys it because, by all means, if you're into that, go for it. But just know that. But you're, when you're first me in the hobby. You know. I don't shame you. Um, <laughs> when you're first in the hobby, like you let me just, know how you feel. You don't need that. If you want it, by all means, go for it. But you don't need it. You said it once, I think, and I don't know if you said it specifically on this podcast. There's so many good games out right now that you don't need to invest in money on something that you're going to see in two years. Yeah. There's so many good games coming out right now. That sounds really good. That was a very smart thing for me to say. I'm I mean I can't I really wish I could say that's not, but <laughs> I really wish I could argue against that being a smart statement, but it is a pretty smart statement. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, yeah, you don't Kickstarter is one of those things that like I've done it and I still will do it with certain games. I'm far more selective now than I was. Yeah, I guess. I'm super picky, and typically if I'm doing a Kickstarter, it's probably for a game that if it does get released to retail, it's one print run and it's done. Whatever they make in Kickstarter, they're going to sell and it's done. It's not going to be a game that's constantly produced over and over again. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook and send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.